Did you know that you can listen to every single episode of Gangry the Podcast on our website? Just go to gangrythepodcast.com and you can listen to interviews with amazing writers and reporters like Pamela Koloff, David Gran, Janet Reitman, Tom Juneau, Eli Saslow, Ben Montgomery, Landa Gregory, and so many more. Just go to gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. On this episode, I talked with Kim Cross. Cross is a freelancer who writes for a number of publications. We talked about her story, Noel and Leon, what happens when two strangers trust the rides of their lives to the magic of the universe. The story ran in Bicycling Magazine. The story is about two bicyclists who were riding in opposite directions on thousand-mile journeys. They just so happened to cross paths in the middle of a desert. Cross first heard about these two men five years ago and fought long and hard to find a home for the story. Well, I think there was just something kind of magical about it and something so improbable, and I just fell in love with it. Cross said that when she was writing the piece, she wanted to try something experimental. She wanted to structure it in a way she hadn't seen before. I love story structure and I obsess about it and I had never seen a story structured as a palindrome. And so um, I set out with that challenge, also knowing that um, sometimes when you swing for the fences, you, you strike out. And so I, I was like, okay, I want, I want to be able to try this, but I also have to realize that if it doesn't work, if it confuses the reader, then I'm going to have to be willing to let it go. But I won't know if it works until I try it. This is the second time Cross has been on the podcast. She was on in September of 2015 when we talked about her book, What Stands in the Storm, a true story of love and resilience in the worst superstorm in history. Cross has written for a number of publications, including ESPN, Outside, Bicycling Magazine, Garden and Gun, and more. She has been included in Best American Sports Writing twice, including in 2019 for her story, The Redemption of Artist Monroe, which also ran in Bicycling Magazine. As usual, I've linked to a lot of Cross's work, including Noel and Leon, on our website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. I've been talking with Kim Cross. She wrote the story, Noel and Leon, What Happens When Two Strangers Trust the Rides of Their Lives to the Magic of the Universe. The story ran in Bicycling Magazine. I've linked to that story and more of Cross's work on the podcast website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Kim, uh, welcome back to Gangry the Podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's fantastic to have you back on the show. Um, the last time you were here was back in September of 2015, which seems like forever ago right now. Uh, and at the time you talked about your book, What Stands in the Storm. And I just want to, to say that if we have listeners who have not read that book yet, you should. 
you've stayed busy since since you were on the podcast back back then, about five years ago. Um, and that included writing a piece for Bicycling Magazine that was included in Best American Sports Writing 2019. And yeah. now you've got another amazing piece in that same magazine headlined Noel plus Leon, Leon that I'd love to talk with you about. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Can can we start off by, can you talk a little bit about what, what that story is about? Uh, Noel plus Leon. I pronounced it wrong the first time, but Noel plus Leon. Right. And um, it, it reads like Noel and Leon, but um, Noel is actually pronounced like Joel. It's Noel. And I have to train myself to say it that way. So um, the story is basically about these two guys, an American and a Brit, who set out to ride across the world's largest landmass, Eurasia, on a bicycle. And they don't know each other. They're complete strangers. And one is riding east and the other is riding west. And by a stroke of just crazy chance, they they meet smack dab in the middle, like right near the Caspian Sea, where which is kind of the dividing point between Europe and Asia. And um, they're, they're quite opposite in nature. The, their characters are, are completely different. Um, Noel is the, an American, and he believes the world is a pretty safe place and that people are nice, and he, um, he sets out and just isn't too worried about things, and the world kind of proves him right. And then Leon, who's the Brit, he, um, he loves misadventure, and he sets out kind of thinking the world is a sketchy place and what he's doing is dangerous and, and that, you know, there, there are dodgy people out there. And the universe also proves him right. And so um, it's kind of interesting because they have a lot of parallels between them. But when they meet in the middle, something um, unexpected happens and they both help each other in a, in a really um, wonderful way. It's really an amazing um, story. And, and, you know, these two guys in, in the middle of nowhere on the other side of the planet. How did you how did you learn about this story? Well, I learned about it more than five years ago because um, my local bike shop owner, um, Barbara Malky, who owns Cahaba Bikes in um, Birmingham, Alabama, she told me about it. She um, sells Trek bikes, uh, which are based in Wisconsin, and she got to know another Trek dealer, um, and Noel's family owns a Trek dealership, a Trek bike shop in Wisconsin, and so they were, they met through some industry event, and Noel didn't talk frequently about his his journey, but um, but he, he must have shared it just over dinner. And when uh, Barb Malky told me this, I thought, you must be mistaken. This couldn't possibly be true. It just sounds too good to be true, and it sounds like an urban legend. But I, I set out to fact check it, and um, it turns out she gave me Noel's phone number, and I called him up and talked to him, and I said, do you think you could put me in touch with Leon? And he said, oh, well, we're not really close friends or anything, but I think we're friends on Facebook. So he got, um, he reached out to Leon on Facebook and got his email and I, um, Leon was living in China at the time. And, uh, and so I Skyped with him. That was back when China allowed that. And, and I, I couldn't believe it to be true. And then both of them gave me a series of, um, in- incredible sources of, of information and detail. And, and I was able to kind of verify that it was in fact true. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about some of that other information that you used to really nail down exactly uh, what they had done? Because obviously you did the interviews, um, but then you did so much more. Right. So I have an embarrassment of riches when it came to primary source material. Um, You know, at the time that I interviewed both of them the first time, which was five years ago, I think five years had passed or so since the trip. And 
you know, memories are really perishable. Um, and, and so you lose a lot of, of detail when, um, when time, that much time passes. But Leon had kept a day-by-day blog. And this was back in the day when, you know, um, he had to go to an internet cafe to, to write on his blog. So he must have kept a notebook or something, but he kept like a, you know, almost every day on his trip, he wrote um, a blog post and took po- uh, photos and uploaded them. And um, so he shared that with me and it was remarkable because he attracted his mileage and he had such a level of detail that he could not have remembered even five years later. And then um, Noel had also kept a blog, but his had been corrupted. Like he got a virus or something and he lost it. But he did have a Flickr photo stream that had, um, you know, thousands of pictures in it with captions. And the photos were actually um, timestamps. So when you take a photo, there's um, information um, that's that it's tagged with. And so I was able to verify, like, what, what date a photo was taken in a specific place. And then he also had a GPS um, by computer that didn't help him navigate, but it actually tracked his path. And he had uploaded all of these GPS tracks day by day onto, um, uh, I don't know, a website for that. And I downloaded them and uploaded them into Google Earth. And then I tracked Leon's progress across um, just inputting it by hand on Google Earth. And I was able to kind of see um, how much they paralleled and where their paths crossed. And I could actually zoom in on Google Earth to the little tea house in the middle of the desert where they met, which is kind of crazy. It's, it's really like the middle of a 10 day stretch of desert where there's, there's just nothing there. And that's, that's where they happened to me. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. How, how long did it take you to really dig into all that type of stuff? And, and what were you really, what were the types of things that you were really looking for in that data? Well, I, it took me, um, quite a while, um, days and days to go through both, um, Leon's blog, you know, I probably spent uh, a full week just reading every page. It's 323 pages long <laughs> and, um, and, and and quite detailed. Um, and then uh, Noel actually sent me an even bigger file that, than what he has uploaded to Flickr, and I went through 10,000 photos, oh and I, I looked at every one of them. Um, so I was looking just for those little concrete, specific details that bring a scene to life. Um, I know when, when reporting for scene, I feel like the more specific and concrete the detail, the more the scene really plays out in the mind of the reader. And so I was looking for things like that, but I was also looking for interesting parallels. And, and there were many, actually, where, um, you know, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. They, you know, they, they both, for example, met a sidekick. They rode alone for the most of their, their journey, which was uh, like 10,610 miles for um, Noel, and for Leon it was more than 15,000. And they were alone for most of it, but each of them rode with a sidekick for a short time. And um, one of them was named uh, Karsten, and he was German, and the other one was named Christian, um, and he was also German. And I looked up Karsten, and Karsten is basically Christian in German. And so I thought that that was such a delightful little um, coincidence and they, they had many um, little coincidences like that. So I tried to kind of, you know, pick those out. And then there were moments of where, where their experiences were really, really opposite. And so I tried to pick those out. And, um, and then I, I, I tried to fashion them together in a structure that, that made it kind of apparent that they were, they were really opposites and they were kind of coming together in this moment of synchronicity. Yeah. And we'll talk about the structure of the story here in the second part of this interview, which I find utterly 
utterly fascinating. What was the most challenging aspect of reporting this piece for you? I think staying focused on it with a lot of other work on my plate. You know, it's it's a story with a lot of moving parts and a lot of source material and, um, keep, you know, keeping your head in it when it's got that many moving parts is hard to do when you have, you know, I'm, I'm teaching a college class and I've got a book project going on and I've got, you know, eight other little, little stories going on. And so I'd, I'd say just, just staying in it, um, is, was hard. And then the other kind of funny thing was just trying to interview Leon again. Um, so when I picked the story back up after having set it down for several years or trying to find a home for it, Leon had moved to China again, and um, China blocks Skype and Google Hangouts and Zoom, and we tried everything. And so I, I you know, I had I didn't realize this until I went to, to to call him, and so I just had to call him on my cell phone and cringe at what the bill might be. <laughs> it was oh my! Dollar <laughs> phone call. You, you you said that you kind of um, that you heard about this five years ago, which is about the time you you were on the podcast the first time, right? When What Stands right. in the Storm came out, right? What was it that that stuck with you about this piece that that you wanted to pursue it so much? Well, I think there was just something kind of magical about it, and something so improbable, and I just fell in love with it. Um, and the other thing that was kind of interesting is Noel and Leon, and the key thing too, I should have made clear up front is that their names are reversed. They're, you know, uh, if you spell Leon backwards, it's Noel. And so their their names together form a kind of a palindrome. And I just was so um, tickled by that. I don't know. Everyone really is. And I was also kind of delighted by the fact that neither Noel or Leon found it as interesting as the people that they would, you know, tell about it casually. And I, and I thought that that was interesting. And I, I was also shocked it hadn't been told. Um, and I, I just love the idea of retracing this, the many, many, many decisions and coincidences and, you know, uh, things that had to go wrong in just the right way for them to meet exactly when they did exactly where they did at the moment when they really needed to meet. And so I, I don't know, it kind of, to me, it struck me like uh, almost a true fable. Like uh, I kept thinking of Paolo Coelho's book, The Alchemist, which I read when I was in high school and fell in love with. And it just had this um, this quality of, of of being like a fable. And so I wanted I wanted to um, I, I wanted so badly to tell it. So yeah. And there's a little bit from um, from The Alchemist at the very beginning of the piece as well, right? Right. It begins with a little excerpt that is um, really, really a, a perfect little excerpt. And then it, the, the alchemist actually surfaces two more times during the story. I don't know if you noticed that. There's a scene in the middle of the story where um, things are going terribly for Leon and he's really frustrated and he's venting about it. And a, uh, a fellow backpacker um, looks up in his, from his Paulo Coelho book in the hostel where he's staying and informs him that the universe is not working in his favor. <laughs> is that he's the one that wrote the blog, right? That's how you knew that that book was there or no. Am yes, I correct on exactly. that? Okay. That came, you know, every detail in the story um, came from some concrete source, you know, mostly the blog. Um, and, and then there's a, a scene at the end where uh, Leon and Noel sit down and they sit down in a, in a, in this tea house when they're meeting and they sit down kind of like camel drivers and they exchange information. And in uh, the quote at the beginning, it's about camel drivers um, exchanging information about uh, wind and telling stories about the desert. 
But when Noel and Leon sat down, they were they were actually exchanging information about water because that was a big, um, big scary unknown out in the desert. So I just um, and the the the, the Coelho quote, quote also alludes to the fact that when two caravans pass in the desert, one always has something that the other needs, and you know it's almost like everything's written by one hand. And I felt like that was just kind of the perfect setup for the story. So. What was, I mean, it really like, what was it like when you came across, when you did, you, you did find out about that blog and you, and you started reading it? I can't imagine like diving into something like that. It would be fantastic, I think, almost. Oh, it just felt like such a gift from the universe. It just felt like, you know, if there are gods of storytelling, they were smiling that day. <laughs> um, of course, then I had to go through and read it because there was no way of searching it for things. Um, it's it's kind of an antiquated blog system that it's on. And, and so I had to literally go through page by page. And um, I ended up kind of creating this Word document where I which was my way of bookmarking certain notes and um, and moments and going going back to that. But, but it was really fun. Um, the other thing that was such a blessing was that Leon is so funny. He has this um, dry British wit and this sensibility, his sense of humor is just hilarious. So some of the things he says were just, um, you know, made me laugh out loud. And I really felt like I was able to get in his head, not only just as a person, but, you know, in the moment he was experiencing it because he wrote the blog as he was traveling, um, it really gave me um, a glimpse of his emotional state and, you know, at the moment that he was experiencing it. Whereas, like, when you interview someone, it's their later self, like, trying to remember what their, you know, in-the-moment self was was feeling and thinking. So in, in that way, it was almost like having access to someone's diary. Mm, um, yeah. So it was just delightful. What were they like when you the first time you 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 reached out to them? Were were they like what? Why does anybody want to talk to us? Or what were they like then? Kind of, they were just sort of you know bemused and tickled that I was so interested in their story. And I think you know they shared it with a handful of people, and people always found it really really interesting. And they were kind of thought thought it was odd at how interesting people found it. Um, but they were, I don't know, they were, they were great. They were so lovely to talk to and forthcoming. And, um, you know, what was funny is like, I, I picked up and put down the story a number of times over the five years that I was trying to find the right home for it. I first, it was, um, it was going to be in SB nation long form. And then, um, after like the contract had been signed, then the, it, that, it got shut down. And so then I, I went around trying to find the right place and different places liked it, but they just, it didn't fit into um, anyone's box. And I wanted to find a place that would um, really let me do some experimental things with the writing of it. And so um, it took me a while to figure out, I don't know why, I, maybe after the um, Artist Monroe story, um, I realized like bicycling would let me take some of those risks. So anyway, um, back to just meeting them. It wasn't just meeting them, but the fact that I came back to them time after time throughout this five-year period of trying to find a place for the story to be like, I think I found a home. Nope, sorry, they went out of business. Wait, I think I found another place. Oh, sorry. And and I, I kept worrying that they were gonna they were gonna bail on me and be like, I'm so done with you. I'm so sick of you and the the false promise of the story. Mm. <laughs> so I was really um, grateful that they they hung with me through all of that. Did you, um, I'm, I'm curious, did you do like the bulk of the interviewing once you finally had a, you knew the story was going to happen or did you do a lot of that just spread out over that time? 
You know, I did um, a bunch at the beginning, and then um, I didn't. I didn't want to waste anyone's time until I I had sold the story, and so I would just kind of ping them from time to time, just to let them know, like, hey, I haven't given up on you. I'm still like, I still love your story. I'm still trying to find a place for it, and please don't forget about me. <laughs> um, but but then I guess it was last February. I kind of finally um, got the green light, and I started working on it in in earnest, and in. Initially, it was a it was a shorter story. It was more like a three thousand word story, mm-hmm. and I, I I wanted it you know more than that. But I but I was like I'm just should be happy with what I get. But um, it expanded uh, as as we went on. My my editor actually gave me more words. But um, yeah, it was I, I'd say like most of the reporting happened in in the the year since February, and I would interview them to the extent that I could with with Leon since he was in China I did most of it over email and also because Leon really um, expresses himself well in writing as does Noel actually um Noel was easier to pick up the phone and call because he's just in Wisconsin but um but both of them they would they would write some some thoughtful things down so in the reporting I did something I've never done before and I don't know where I got this idea but um, in Vanity Fair, often at the end, they have the Proust questionnaire and they um, have celebrities fill it out. And it has a number of questions, I guess I'm looking at it, it has 35 questions. Uh, what is your perfect idea, your idea of perfect happiness? What is your greatest fear? What is the trait you most deplore in yourself? And I sent them each uh, these questions in an email and I said, hey guys, would you mind like filling this out? Because I probably won't quote from it for the piece, but I'd like to know like how you see yourselves. And I wanted to um, compare them side by side on a number of different, um, I don't know, just kind of personality quirks and traits. And both of them responded with some really incredible writing. And I initially didn't, didn't want to quote too heavily. I didn't want to have too many quotes in because I wanted to, to use dialogue only in scene. Um, but then I decided that it was just too good not to include. And that's where I think Leon has um, a, a quote that he he gave to me in, in, in his meditation on what this trip meant to him. And he said it was kind of like, you know, the, the Tao of travel where um, you're carried along, you know, by a, a series of, of wonderful coincidences. And that kind of um, inspired one of the one of the I don't know recurring theme, themes of the story, if you will. And um, and anyway, I just really liked being able to correspond with them both in writing and uh, you know, I guess verbally. Well, this is all incredibly interesting, and we're only talking about the reporting. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we return, I'll continue talking with Kim Cross about her story, Noel and Leon. I hope I said it right that time especially about the writing, because there's some, I think there's some magic happening there as well. Uh, We'll be back in just one minute. This is Gangry the Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is brought to you by the Digital Journalism Program at Fairfield University. The Bachelor of Arts degree in Digital Journalism is a rigorous 12-course program designed to provide students with the skills, knowledge, and experience needed to take part in today's quickly changing media world. The podcast is also brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield University. The college grounds students in the 500-year-old Jesuit tradition of academic rigor and personal reflection 
while providing them with the critical skills needed to succeed in work and life. To learn more about the Digital Journalism Program and the College of Arts and Sciences, visit www.fairfield.edu. Welcome back to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. Kim, we talked a lot about the reporting that went into your bicycling magazine story, Noel and Leon. Now I'd like to talk about the writing. When uh, we first started emailing about this story, one of the first things that you mentioned was the number of palindromes in the piece. Why was that important to you? Well, I think just from the very beginning and, you know, when I was originally um, talking about the story with my friend Glenn Stout, um, we talked about the, you know, this piece wouldn't be or this story wouldn't be as interesting if their names weren't what they are. Um, Leon and Noel are, of course, you know, the same the same name in, in reverse and they were doing essentially the same journey in reverse. And the fact they meet at the middle, it just it just to me screamed like that this, this whole thing was somehow a palindrome. And so um, I really, 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 really wanted to try something experimental, something I've never seen before in terms of structure. Um, I love story structure and I obsess about it and I had never seen a story structured as a palindrome. And so um, I set out with that challenge, also knowing that um, sometimes when you swing for the fences, you you strike out. And so I, I was like, okay, I want I want to be able to try this but I also have to realize that if it doesn't work, if it confuses the reader, then I'm going to have to be willing to let it go. But I won't know if it works until I try it. And so um, to my, my editor's uh, great credit, so I have to give props to Matt Allen, who um, was my original editor at Bicycling, and then he went on fraternity leave, and Leah Flickinger stepped in, and then the two of them kind of came back and helped um, me get the final revision together. But... Um, they, they were like, you know, we're, we're willing to let you give this a shot. And I, I, I don't think I would have been happy if I couldn't have at least tried that. So um, it actually, the story begins and ends with the meeting, which is really the whole point of the story. And the meeting is written in, in present tense, and I'll explain more about that in a minute. And then um, you have these, what I call a braided narrative. So you have the two threads that are alternating. One is Leon and his sections alternate with Noel's sections. And so they alternate in such a way that is um, the whole thing is a palindrome. So it's the meeting, Leon, Noel, Leon, Noel, et cetera, and then the meeting. And Leon has one extra section um, in the middle. And I... I struggled with this because at the um, there's a point at the very end, the last two sections are actually a flash forward moment where um, before those sections occur is where the meeting would chronologically take place. But I had to somehow signal to the reader, like this is where the meeting would normally occur, but we're not going to see it just yet. And we're going to flash forward because I wanted to show the reader the future that was kind of at stake at the moment of the meeting, like if the meeting hadn't taken place the way it did, um, the future would, would not have played out the way it did. And so um, I, I thought, you know, that that's a good reason to do it this way. And it also, you know, makes the palindrome work. Um, but for a minute, I, I had some test readers uh, go through it and, and it wasn't quite working. They were getting confused. And so um, I actually... Uh, called my friend Mike Wilson, who's one of my, my um, I call him my, my Jedi master of storytelling. And 
once a year when I have a story that really matters, I'll like reach out and be like, Mike, can you read this? Can you help me? And he suggested um, breaking the fourth wall and saying like, hey, reader, this is where the meeting would normally take place, um, but we're not going to go there just yet. First, we're going to see what happens afterwards. And then, you know, the meeting's going to be your reward. And then um, my editor liked that idea. Leah Flickinger liked that idea, but it wasn't quite working in the ex execution. So I tweaked it a little more and just changed the tense to like, I forget what the tense is called, but it's like the, the future and the past tense where you say, um, you know, he would go on to um, finish his ride and he would stand on the edge of China and he would, you know, do this. And then, um, and then after those sections, we, we come back to the meeting. And so when I sent that back out to my test readers, they, um, they didn't get confused. And so that, that was kind of my litmus test. But when I originally turned it in um, to Matt, I, I gave him two versions. I said, okay, here's the, here's the palindrome version. And then here's a more traditional structure where the end happens at the end. You tell me which one you think works. Cause I, I don't want my little, you know, artistic conceit to come at the cost of the reader. The reader really should come first. And so um, to his credit, Matt Allen said, no, I think we should try the experimental version. And also I think you need more words. And I was so happy because I felt like um, my original draft didn't have as many alternating sections. I think it only had four. And that wasn't really enough to set the story into the rhythm that, that I wanted. And it wasn't enough to get two guys all the way up across Eurasia, it just wasn't enough. And so um, to his credit, he said like, I never say this to, to reader, to writers, but I think you need more words. And so the story grew almost, you know, twice in length. And, um, and I think it, it really worked. So um, yeah, so it was fun. I love the fact that you actually wrote two versions uh, of the story, you know, the, the experimental one with, uh, with the, the, the palindrome structure and, and then a more traditional one. Uh, I did that multiple times, not multiple times, but a handful of times when I was a newspaper reporter, because I wanted to try something different, but I also knew there there might be a chance they wouldn't like it. And I didn't want to have to go back and, and do it all again. So I just threw it all out there. So that's pretty cool. I always learn more that way too, I think. And so, sometimes you have to see it on the page before you know if it's working or not. Um, or to know if, if you should change it. And it's kind of liberating to, to know that in revision so much can change um, and you can still, you know, change it back. And it, you know, it's, it's like a, a piece of sculpture that you just keep, you know, refining and moving stuff around. And, um, and so anyway, I, I always feel like I, I learn more and I grow more as a writer when, when I allow myself to do that. And I have to say, you know, being able to, to talk with Mike Wilson, I know I've had multiple guests on the podcast who have talked about how great he is at helping with stories with, with, with the palindrome when I, I'm really curious as to when you started and, and actually I want to go back and say you pointing out that this was there in the email that you sent to me was all, I was so happy that you included that because I, I read the piece so much more closely, which is one reason I want to talk about it now. Cause if people haven't read it yet, it's really cool to pay that close attention uh, and tend to start noticing that type of stuff. But I'm curious, when did the, that idea come to you? When did you think this is something I can try? You know, I think it actually dated back to when um, Glenn Stout was um, gonna gonna run the piece and gonna be my original editor. And we had talked about it a number of times. And Glenn actually, I talked with throughout the whole, you know, <laughs> five years of writing this piece, where should I pitch it? What should I do with it? And so, you know, Glenn was, um, 
he's, he's always, he's just one of the most generous, you know, writing coaches um, I know and nurturers of, of writers of all um, stages in their career. Cause he will get on the phone and talk to you for an hour about um, an idea. And I remember uh, it might've even been his idea. I cannot even remember how the palindrome idea originated. So I don't want to take credit for it. If it was his, sorry, Glenn, if it is, but he, he and I talked about it so much that we were just kind of of the same mind. And I think at some point he was like, yeah, I would, I, I you know, I, I wouldn't want you to, to not try this because it is one of, these stories where it might be the only story in the world where this structure might actually make sense. And so, um, so yeah, I think it, 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 I'd been thinking of it all along and, and, you know, it, it, it was something we discussed throughout. So, yeah, but, um, I will say, you know, when it came down to writing, then I, I think the story of, uh, or the idea of embedding palindromic words in the story kind of emerged. And, um, but my rule was, like that I wasn't allowed, I wasn't going to put, put like kayak in there. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> I wasn't going to put, insert a word that didn't belong there. And so I wanted it to be kind of invisible to a reader. I didn't want it to draw attention to itself. I, I wanted it to be sort of like Easter eggs hidden for the careful reader, but not something that wouldn't make sense to the reader who's just, who just wants a good story. And the same thing with the structures. I didn't want, um, I wanted it to be, um, something where you you might notice, but you might not. But if you didn't notice, it would still be a good story. It would still work. It would still flow. You wouldn't be lost. So, um, but but I wanted a little bit of a hint towards the end, so that if you did notice, it made you go, wait a minute, and then possibly go back and read it again. And on the second reading, I wanted it to be a slightly different experience. Does that make sense? So yeah, I wanted yeah. it to be kind of layered, in the way that you know a, a great a great piece of fiction is layered. And when you read um, a book the first time, you, you you maybe just get the story. And then when you read it a second time, you pick up on all sorts of other themes and, and ideas and notions. And so I really wanted it to kind of work that way. Um, and so far, I mean, we didn't really put any big hints in the story other than the um, in the layout online. Bicycling did this thing where the sections, there's a shadow of, of Leon, uh, which is the sec a subsection title, I guess. And that hints in a way that, hey, these names are, are reverse of each other. And for the most part, a few, a few readers have appeared to pick up on that, but um, no one's picked up on the, you know, the story structure and no one's really picked up on, on the palindromes embedded. And I, I knew that was probably going to be the case and that I'm fine with that, but it was just kind of, kind of fun. I figured, you know, you and I and a handful of our geeky writer friends will appreciate the stunt of it, but, I, you know. <laughs> The stunt shouldn't take precedence over the story. Well, it was funny because I think I was about maybe a third of the way through the story when I read it. And that's when I, I recognized their names. And I was like, I almost had this like mind blown <laughs> moment. <laughs> but I did, you know, I mean, it, it took me a third of the way to get through to, to actually make sense of that. But that was cool. You know, it was a really cool reading experience for sure. But didn't you feel smart when you figured it out? Were you like... I just got something that not everyone's going to get. That's I, I wanted you to feel really smart when you figured it out. I felt a little bit smart, but you also told me how many palindromes were in the story. And I did not, <laughs> I was making a list. I was writing them down and I did not get them all. So I have to go back and, 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 and do it again. <laughs> so, but that's cool. That's a, that's a good reason I think to, to reread a story. Did you, did you learn anything about yourself as a writer, uh, as you were actually writing this piece, the story itself? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So I, I can I can talk about this just a little bit. Um, uh, I this is the you know best and biggest thing I've done following a a, a really awful failure that I can't talk about because I had to sign a non disclosure agreement. But I um, I had lost a lot of confidence in myself as a writer and and a risk taker because I I I've always I think. I think one of my strengths as a writer and, and just as a person and an athlete is that I'm not afraid to fail and to fall and to like, you know, dust myself off after I fail and get back up and try again. And I had, um, actually, you know, the, the artist Monroe story was kind of a big fail. They, I rewrote that thing from the ground up three times, um, because I tried something really experimental that just didn't work for my editor. And I, I loved it, but I also realized, hey, it's not about me. It's about the reader and the publication and whether or not this works for, for them. So um, that failure, you know, I think it bummed me out a little at the time, but um, but I also learned a lot from that. And, and you know, when, when it was picked for Best American, I was like, oh, you know, my editor was right, and this, this turned out into something kind of great. But... Um, but this story, I, I don't know. I just kind of, I felt like it was a big, um, a big swing for the fences, and and I, I worried a little that I that I might fail. But I, I had to psych myself up to to do it after the, um, you know, the thing that went wrong was it was a book, and it was a huge two year endeavor that um, went really wrong in ways that I could never have imagined. So. I was um, in a in a pretty awful place um, before I, I wrote this story, and so this kind of helped me get my mojo back a little bit. And it reminded me that um, there there is a little bit of magic in in the universe, and that you know sometimes it comes to you. And if and if you know it doesn't work out the first time, like when um, you know when the original publication went under, uh, I, I didn't want to just give it up. I wanted to kind of you know, keep at it. So I have a couple of stories like this where I feel like, you know, I don't want to ever give up on the story, but maybe the timing's not right. So I guess what I learned is that sometimes no doesn't mean no, it just means not right now. Right. <laughs> and that um, persistence um, and, and, you know, trying to keep your confidence and stay true to your original vision sometimes pays off in the end. So, um, and, and I, I rediscovered, I think, the joy of wordplay. I and, and creativity. I had so much fun writing this, um, you know, from embedding the palindromes to finding um, the the parallels between their journeys to to re really playing with imagery. Um, there's kind of uh, an undertone of, of Taoism in this, which I didn't know really anything about until Leon said something in, in an interview about the, the Tao of travel. And um, Taoism is, of course, you know, the yin-yang symbol um, with, that's black and white with uh, the little swirlies. Um, you know, I, I did a little research to, to understand what he meant by that. And I, and I learned that, that Taoism and the yin-yang is, is basically about the balance of opposing yet complementary forces. And my mind kind of exploded when I read that because that's the perfect metaphor in a way for Leon and Noel, they were, they were really total opposites, but, um, but they, they, they came together in this moment of, of crazy synchronicity. And, and it was like, you know, the, the force was restored in the universe. And, um, 
in in doing that, I allowed myself to play with with the nature, you know, some imagery of of opposites. Of there's a lot of imagery of shadow and light, of circles and horizons and lines, and um, and I really had had fun with that. How does that idea of yin and yang play out in the story? So in talking about the whole yin yang kind of balance of opposing and complementary forces. I felt like the you know the climax of the story is a really simple little moment. So spoiler alert: um, when Noel and Leon meet, Noel is is in a bad place. I'm sorry, Leon's in a bad place. Um, Leon has entered this ten day stretch of desert and he has broken three or four spokes on his rear wheel, which is loaded down with with bags and gear. And his when when you break a spoke, your wheel becomes untrue it becomes no longer a perfect circle. It starts becoming an oval and then it starts rattling your bike to pieces. So um, in in the day or two before they meet, Leon is thinking about giving up and just hitchhiking because his bike is not going to make it. And um, he has, and I love this, he has been carrying the tools that he needs to fix this problem. He has a spoke key and I love that it's called a key. And he, he says that you know, on his blog, he wrote that he had been carrying it more as a magical amulet than something he knew how to use. And I just I just love that. Um, and so when he meets Noel, it turns out that Noel is a bike mechanic who's trued hundreds of wheels in his life. And Noel says, I'm sorry, I have different wheels and I, I want to help you, but I don't have the tools. And Leon says, well, I have the tools. And Noel says, well, why didn't you use them? And Leon said, I, I just didn't know how. So in, in maybe the hour that they spend together, uh, in, at this crossroads of their journey, um, Noel fixes Leon's wheel. And it's called truing a wheel when you do that. And I love that. So it's really a true story. But um, what I learned about yin and yang, I realized that what what you have to do to true a wheel is to to make sure that the, you know, the spokes which are, are pulling in um, opposing directions are perfectly balanced. And so it was kind of this moment of, you know, balancing oppositionally the complementary forces. So it was the, the perfect metaphor for what, you know, Leon had said about the Tao of travel. And, um, and I just, I just really love that. So yeah, it's a true story. <laughs> now that this piece is finally out in the world, is, is there anything else that you're working on right now that, that, that we can look forward to reading? Well, I have kind of two book projects cooking. I have a book project for a client that I, I can't talk about, but it's, it's going to be really, really a beautiful um, book that's going to have a lot of actual photography and imagery in it. And the main character is a house, a very famous house. So I, I think that's all I can say. <laughs> um, and that's due in three months. So I'm, I'm hunkering down and focusing on that. I've got another longer term book project that is going to be, um, gosh, kind of like a heavily reported m- memoir about the the salmon situation here in the Pacific Northwest, where our our salmon are on the brink of um, going extinct uh, regionally. So I'm, I'm working on that, but that probably has a longer horizon. And, um, but I think I'm going to try to focus on those things. I have little things here and there. I did a you know fun piece for outside on a workout you can do in your living room during the pandemic. But, um, but those, that's, that's mostly it. And I'm teaching and, and just trying to um, enjoy, I don't know, enjoy the time I have with my kid who's 12 now. Well, Kim, uh, thanks a lot for coming uh, back on the podcast, and I hope uh, you're doing well. Thank you. I've been talking with Kim Cross. She wrote the story, Noel and Leon, 
What happens when two strangers trust the rides of their lives to the magic of the universe? The story ran in Bicycling Magazine. I've linked to that story and more of Cross's work on the podcast website. You can find that at www.gangrythepodcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at Gangry Podcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in Donnarumma Studios at Fairfield University. It's made possible by Fairfield University's Digital Journalism Program and the College of Arts and Sciences. Our music comes from Audionautics. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us.